Welcome to another episode of the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today is kind of an in-between-isode. It's an episode where we are transitioning from one major section of the story of California to another. Um, But today's episode has lots of interesting tidbits that I'm sure you'll love to hear. So let's go. As we begin this episode, I wanted to spend a brief moment talking about the power of names. I studied religion in graduate school and spent a sizable portion of that working on the Hebrew Bible, or as Christians refer to it, the Old Testament. One of the most common names used to refer to God in Scripture is the Tetragrammaton, which literally means four letters. Uh, All four letters are consonants, and these four letters um, are the name that Christians and Jews attach to God. Now, um, a, a Jewish tradition developed that viewed the vocalization of the name of God as uh, something that was too sacred to be said aloud. Um, so instead, what they did was they replaced the word, the Tetragrammaton, with the word Adonai, which basically means Lord. Um, the idea is that the name is so powerful um, that uttering it um, is something that is beyond human, so it needs to be replaced. Um, and this brings us back to the story of California, because the power of names is very apparent when you look at California. Uh, many of the names in California, especially along the coast, uh, begin uh, with the word san, S-A-N, which in, translated from Spanish means saint. Um, and it's important to remember uh, that there is this history, this Roman Catholic history, uh, that uh, kind of colors the history of our state. And many of these cities um, have a legacy and refer to uh, saints that many of us have forgotten about or don't know about. Um, and today we're going to talk about names. Now, where we left off in the story uh, from the Spanish perspective was Juan Rodriguez's story of exploring the coast and his tragic ending when he jumped off the boat, which ultimately led to his death. Now, before we move further towards the subject of the next few podcasts, uh, let's meet another important Spaniard who gifted names to California that we still use today. His name was Sebastian Vizcaino. Vizcaino began his journey to Alta California, which is California today, uh, roughly 60 years after Rodriguez. And his mission, in particular, was to map the coastline to look for ports for vessels returning from the Philippines, who were trading there, uh, and a place for them to temporarily harbor on their way back uh, to Mexico or um, California. Now, Vizcaino uh, proceeded along much a similar route to Cabrillo, and he also arrived in San Diego Bay. And he actually is the one who named it San Diego Bay, after the name of the flagship um, in his fleet, uh, the San Diego. He also renamed a few other places whose names still exist today. Uh, for example, he uh, named the Santa Barbara Channel Islands, Point Conception, the Santa Lucia Mountains, Point Lobos, Carmel Valley, and Monterey Bay. Now, the religious legacy of these names um, is kind of lost on us, even though we still use them today. Um, And I thought, you know, I'd spend a few moments talking about one name in particular. 
my brother lives in the city of Santa Barbara. Now, when I say the word Santa Barbara, what comes to my mind is a beautiful oceanside, immaculate suburbs that climb up the hills, perfect 70-degree weather year-round, and wonderful restaurants that line uh, the major streets heading down to the harbor. But the tale of Santa Barbara, or the saint, uh, is little known. Um, The tale of the Greek martyr, who this city is named after, was actually killed at the hands of her father, who didn't approve of her decision to become a Christian. The story is really tragic. Um, uh, Barbara was a young girl, and she was ultimately locked in a tower uh, by her father. Um, She had a miraculous conversion experience while she was in the tower, and ultimately decided to forsake her family uh, idols and choose to devote her life to God, the Christian God. Her father beat her constantly and did everything he could to change her mind. She eventually ran away as she feared for her life. Her father chased and eventually caught her and in the end had her beheaded. At that moment, the story goes, her father was then struck down by lightning by God. Kind of a really sad, tragic story. Now, it's not clear why Vizcaino chose to name uh, this little cove north of Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, uh, but I like to think that maybe the untouched beauty of this area had something to do with it, the kind of virgin, beautiful landscape uh, that in his mind maybe matched uh, St. Barbara. Now, I definitely believe in the power of names, but I'm not saying that particular places are any more uh, sacred than others. Uh, But it does feel that certain places have kind of an ethereal uh, connection to their name, as I was just describing. Um, And just remember that San means saint, and Santa means holy. Um, Madre means mother, as in Mother Mary. Uh, So many of these places that we're used to just saying over and over again, um, they're referring to holy and sacred things in people's uh, religious traditions. Um, And so I'm I'm not telling you to uh, attach any religious meaning to your city if it has a San or a Santa or or a Madre in it, but I'm telling you to, I'm suggesting uh, that you think a little bit about uh, where these names come from and what they actually mean. Now, beyond merely visiting Cabrillo's route and giving some terrain new, new names, Vizcaino did not do much to really accelerate the colonization of Alta California. One might ask why it took so long for the first major settlement, uh, which came later as part of the Portola expedition in 1769. The answer is that things were not able to move as quickly back then. We're used to an interconnected world where stock trades are made in milliseconds, messages are sent instantly, and a person can fly from California to Europe in less than a day. Communication, transportation, and processes were much slower in the time that we're talking about. Secondly, the Spanish had a vast colonial spaces to occupy their time. California was not, Alta California specifically, was not the only or most lucrative colony uh, of Spain. And Spain, being a country that is invested in procuring as much out of their colonies as possible, was more likely to spend time on its other colonies that were already developed. 
Furthermore, Spain was actually already embroiled in uh, some competitive European politics at this time that would have prevented them from focusing a lot of attention on expanding their colonies. For example, right around the time of Vizcaino's expedition along the coast of California, Alta California, Spain was in the middle of a 13-year war called the War of Spanish Succession, which pitted many of the major powers in Europe at the time against each other. There were major changes in in power, ongoing disputes with Great Britain, and many other events that prevented Spain from focusing its full attention on its colonial holdings. Now, that is not to say that things were not happening in the colonies of the Americas, uh, but it is to say that it was a chaotic century, and it makes sense, if you take a step back and look at the context, why there was an immediate expansion north. Uh, But when it did come, uh, when the expansion did push north, which we're going to transition to talking about, it was actually the influence of another major country that pushed Spain to move further north into Alta California, and that was Russia. Now, Russia's colonization of North America is very little known and is not often covered in history texts about this period. A man named uh, Grigory Shlikov, a Russian adventurer and explorer, established the first permanent Russian colony in North, Comer- in North America on Kodiak Island in Alaska. The Russians were primarily after otters uh, because they were such lucrative trade commodities. And so they established this colony uh, as, a, as a base to uh, send out hunting expeditions for otters. Um, Russia would continue to have influence over this territory, even extending all the way down to Oregon, um, all along the coast of uh, Canada, until the late 1800s, until uh, the area of Alaska was purchased in 1867. Um, Now, the Russians that lived in Alaska um, did not stay there long. Um, Due to the mixture of climate, which is brutal in Alaska, uh, lack of food supply, because it was difficult to transport food to Alaska. And finally, the d- dwindling supply of otters, due to overhunting, uh, ultimately pushed Russians to expand further south into present-day California. The first and only major settlement in present-day California was a, was a fort called Fort Ross. And this is nearly 60 miles north of San Francisco. Ross was short for Russia, and this fort would house Russians for nearly 30 years. But even though uh, the climate improved, many of the same problems persisted uh, from the Alaska experiment, Um, the dwindling supply of many of the animals they were hunting, as well as um, the difficulty of getting uh, food supplies to them uh, from Russia. Now, um, around the same time period is when Spain uh, started to push north. And uh, many speculate that the presence of Russia was not met warmly by the Spanish and, in fact, impelled them uh, to begin their colonization further north. And so that's kind of uh, setting up for us um, what we're going to begin to talk about. Interesting side note, um, Fort Ross was actually later sold uh, to a settler whose name you might know, uh, John Sutter, uh, one of the famous first uh, Californians. Actually, also, a second interesting note is he purchased it from the Russians, but they actually never got the money for the fort. Um, 
and that's uh, something we'll come back to later in future episodes. And that's where we're going to stop for here with this episode. This was a pretty brief episode, just to kind of give you a little background, a little preface before we uh, start moving forward. Um, we will spend a week or two after this discussing the Portola expedition. Um, we're going to spend an episode, probably two at least, uh, talking about what the Portola expedition was, uh, what its purpose was, and uh, kind of what happened and some of the outcomes. Um, and then we're going to spend a few episodes after that getting to know one of the most uh, famous and influential explorers of California, uh, Junipero Serra. Uh, we're going to talk about his life, his legacy, his impacts, et cetera, et cetera. That's the plan for the next few episodes. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the first colonization and, uh, you know, as Native Americans and the Spanish uh, really start to um, interact in California and how things uh, transpired. So uh, that's the plan for now, and I'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs>